can be seated. Anyone here ready for that? Wow. Worship team, thank you for that. Harvest, I got to tell you, it is good to be with you this morning. I feel like this is one of those things where we know you, but you don't really know us. And here's why, because we've been kind of stalking you as a church for the last five years. And as we have been praying about God, are you calling us to plant a church with Harvest Bible Chapel? You all have been the model for us as we've kind of watched you from Crawfordsville. And... Um, we're going, hey, if, if planning a Harvest Bible Chapel uh, means what we think it does and means a church like what's going on in Avon happening on the south side, we're all about that. And uh, so you guys have been an unbelievable blessing to us. And so it's special for us today to be here with you this morning. And I got to tell you this as we get going, um, you know this, but your pastors and the men who lead this church, they're just amazing men of God. Um, when I, when I sat down with Doug and said, Doug, I think God might be calling us to plant a church on the south side of Indy. Like, what do you think? He's like, hey, man, whatever you need, you got it. Let's make this thing happen. And so just um, what that has meant to my wife, Erica, and I has just been absolutely unbelievable. And it's overwhelming to be here with you this morning, and we're excited. But if you have your Bible with you, uh, find Revelation chapter 21 with me. And if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some maybe around you nearby um, that we hope that you'll be in God's Word this morning as we study it together. And as you turn to Revelation chapter 21, um, I need to share with you as we begin one of the most foolish decisions I've ever made in my life. You want to know what that was? Um, I decided to run a marathon a few years ago. Terror, any runners here? You guys are nuts, nuts. Uh, a friend of mine and I, we kind of had a bucket list item. We set a year goal that we were going to run a marathon. So we trained a little bit. Um, we took off to, yeah, you caught that little bit part. Um, we took off to Nashville, Tennessee to run the Music City Marathon. And we show up at the starting line that day with thousands of people down there and all of these legitimate runners who are going through all their like pre-race routine. And I'm just kind of standing there like, all right, let's do this. You know, I was an athlete growing up. I thought, listen, you can gut through anything. Well, the first six miles of that marathon were a breeze. It was fun. I mean, the people were lining the streets. We were having a blast. And I was thinking to myself, what? what do people make such a big deal about this marathon thing for? This is nothing. Um, anyone know how long a marathon is? 26.2 miles. The next 20.2 miles taught me what is the big deal about a marathon. Uh, the halfway point. I'm watching people start to peel off while running the half, and I, it starts to get hard, and I'm like, I think I should have been in that line. Like, I should be stopping here. Halfway point was hard. Mile marker 17, it got downright painful. This, this shooting pain up the right side of my knee, it totally took my right leg out. So I started kind of this run gallop. The rest of the way, just dragging my leg, you know, as, as I was going. Um, a few miles after this, this is, I'm, this is no lie. About mile marker 19, I'm galloping down the road, and this sweet little elderly lady, probably 75, just comes shuffling right past me. And I was like, I'm not even mad about that. Like, you, I'm so proud of you. 
Mile marker 22, I just stopped. I stopped and I was like, I'm done. And I literally turned around and I started walking back and then it dawned on me. I could walk back 22 miles that way or just finish the four I had left. So I turned around and I kept going. Mile marker 24, when I was in this park, I literally just hit the ground and I army crawled into the grass and I just laid there flat on my back. People, as they ran by, they were doing what you would expect. They're like, hey man, are you okay? I couldn't even talk. I just held up my thumb. One after another, I'm good. (laughs) Somehow, I got back on my feet. Two miles later, I took a turn, and there it was. What do you think it was? The finish line. And literally, the heavens opened, and the angels were singing. And as I turned that corner, there beside me was another sweet little elderly lady. And I said, oh, no, you're not. We were racing to that finish line. She didn't know it, but we were racing. And I crossed that finish line and I threw my arms in the air and then I fell and hit the ground. Oh, the glory of the finish line. Listen, I didn't come over to Crawf- from Crawfordsville today to talk to you about my awful marathon experience, but I do want to say this. The more I live life, the more I think we're all running a marathon. It's called life. And there are seasons like the first six miles where it's fun and it's easy. And there's people lining the streets in our life cheering us on. But then there are mile markers like the halfway point where things just get hard. Uh, The budget gets tight. Relationships get strained. There are moments like mile marker 17 where it's just downright painful. Someone said something and the someone who said it was someone you never thought would say something like that about you. There are mile markers like mile marker 22 where it's literally you just stop and you say, I quit. I quit this job. Quit this marriage. And I just feel like quitting this life. And then some of you here have known the feelings like mile marker 24, where something happened in life that just took you out at the knees and laid you flat on your back. And you're going, I don't know how I'm even going to get to crawl again, let alone back to my feet. I think we're all running a marathon and the marathon's called life. Amen. But there's a finish line. And it's glorious. That is the Apostle John as an aging man receives a vision from the Lord while he's exiled on this island of Patmos. Um, experiencing some of the most awful things believers at that time. I mean, we can't even imagine what they were going through. Um, Roman Emperor Domitian persecuting believers in an unbelievable way. And you have this aging apostle who's been exiled to an island and he needs a glimpse that there's a finish line ahead, that there's something better coming, that there's something better ahead than all this pain that is piercing their lives at this time. And you know what the Lord does? He says, oh, John, there's something better ahead. 
And I want to give you a glimpse of that. And I think for us as believers in 2014, we need that same glimpse of the finish line at times. Where we fix our eyes on Jesus and we fix our eyes on that finish line of what is coming in a new heaven and a new earth. And we go, listen, these circumstances, they pale in comparison to what is ahead for us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we're going to get a glimpse of that finish line today. Revelation chapter 21 Start reading with me in verse 1, if you will. And as we start, let me, let me write, write this down if you're taking notes today. That God will make a perfect place for us. Perfect. Look with me, verse 1, Revelation 21. And the word of God says this this morning. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had what? What's it say there? And it passed away, and the sea was no more. I want us to understand something today, that we have a heavenly Father who loves replacing the old and the broken with the new and the perfect. Amen? He loves taking our old life, and when we are in Christ, and I heard you got a great message about that last week, when we are in Christ, he loves to make us new in Christ. And it's the same way that this, this old and this broken world that we're living in that, that is defined by the brokenness that we'll, we're going to walk back out into after this service. The Lord says, listen, no, no. That's not going to win in the end. This, this old heaven, this old earth, it's going to pass away. It's going to depart. It's going to be no more. And I'm going to create something new, and I'm going to create something perfect in its place. We have a heavenly father who loves replacing the old and broken with the new and the perfect. And I love that. I mean, on a practical level, don't you love when the old and broken in your house is replaced with the new and the working, right? And God says, listen, that's what I'm going to do to this world. But he tags on a kind of an interesting phrase to the end of this verse here. It says, and the sea was no more. What's up with that? All you beach people right now are freaking out. Like, hold on. No sea means no beach. And if there's no beach, like, I don't even know if I want to be there, right? I don't know if we can quite go there with it. But through the book of Revelation... The sea seems to always be associated with a few things. Um, if you have a Bible with you, flip back to Revelation chapter 13 with me real quick. And right in the beginning of Revelation chapter 13, we read these words. And I saw a beast rising out of the what? rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems and its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And so we have the beast in Revelation rising out of the sea. Flip with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 20 now. So the beast is associated with the sea in the book of Revelation. Verse 11 in Revelation chapter 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on it from his presence... Earth and sky fled away, 
And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And verse verse 13 there, what's it say? And the what? And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. That through the book of Revelation, we see the beast rising up out of the sea. We said the sea, we see the sea being associated with evil and with death and with pain. And John, he tacks on to the end of this verse in Revelation 21.1. He says, listen, a new heaven and a new earth, they're coming. And they're going to replace the old. And the sea, That which is associated with death and with evil and with sin, guess what? It's going away. It'll be no more. And he doesn't stop there. He continues to try to paint this picture of this vision that he's receiving from the Lord of what this place will be like. Verse 2, and he says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, again, New Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, just, la- just this last March, um, my wife and I got the amazing privilege of going to see the Holy Land. And uh, we spent a couple weeks over in Israel. And listen, if you ever have a chance, go do it. It brings the Bible to color. As you read it, you'll be able to picture it and see it. It was an amazing trip. Um, But as you think about the capital city of the Holy Land, Jerusalem, you can pick up a newspaper and see what defines this earthly Jerusalem, can't you? I mean, as we walk through there, there's there's riot police mounted on horses because at any moment in that city, uh, total riots can just break out. As you walk through the city, there's people who hate each other. I thought I knew what hate was until I watched the people in the city of Jerusalem, the Jews and the Palestinians, just have hatred for each other and they're chanting back and forth. And as you walk through there, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, at any moment, this thing can just go south real quick. But this earthly Jerusalem is marked by division and by evil and by sin. This earthly Jerusalem is marked by where our Savior King was crucified. That's not what the new Jerusalem's going to be like. No sin. No evil. No division. Not defined by where our Savior King was crucified, rather defined by where our Savior King will perfectly reign. Amen? And I love how John describes this throughout this whole book of Revelation. As you read it, you're like, you get this sense that John, he keeps trying to describe things for us. And he's like, I can't even really put it into words, but I'm going to try my best to communicate to you what I'm seeing. Look at how he describes it in verse two. As the new, as he watches the new Jerusalem coming down, he says, uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All of us know that powerful moment in a wedding, right? Where the back doors fling open 
And there's the bride, everyone's standing, everyone turned to look at her. And it's so cool as a pastor, you get to do the wedding and it's so cool to stand right by the husband in that moment where he is just overwhelmed with his bride walking down the aisle towards him. The smile that just comes across his face, sometimes the tears that start to well up in their eyes. And John is trying to communicate something here. You know what the new Jerusalem coming down is like? It's like that moment when a bride walks in, adorned for her husband. Anyone ready for that? Because here's the thing, in like 30 minutes, we're going to walk back out into not the new heaven and not the new earth. And tomorrow we're going to pick up a newspaper and we're going to read stories and we're just going to go, Lord, come quickly. And before we kind of focus on too much about other people's brokenness in this world, this week, we're going to let a careless word slip out of our mouth. We're going to feel the tug of the temptation of sin pulling us back again. And we're just going to be like, Lord, this world we live in is just utterly broken. He's going, I know. You're not home yet. For those who know Jesus Christ, there's, there's a better place coming. There's a finish line ahead. And because you know the glory and the hope of that finish line where my glory will dwell perfectly with you, that will compel you and propel you to be able to face anything that you might experience on this earth right here. But there's a perfect place coming for us who know Jesus Christ, and it's going to be absolutely glorious. But it's not just that there's a place coming for us. It's what characterizes this place. It's what defines this place that makes it absolutely glorious. And so take these notes with me, if you will. God will make a perfect place for us, but then secondly this morning, where he will dwell in a perfect way with us. Look with me at verse three, if you will. It says, and I heard... So now John has told us that here's what I've seen. I've just described for you in verses one and two, that which I've seen. Now let me tell you what I heard. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the what? What's it say? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Let me read that again, and we're going to get excited about that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Amen? That phrase there, that God will dwell with his people, it literally means this. He will set up tent with us. He will tabernacle with us, to use an Old Testament expression. 
But there's now no separation between God and his people. He's going to camp out among us. And here's what I love about our Heavenly Father. Is that he's always had the desire to tabernacle with his people. He's always wanted that. We see it throughout the course of biblical history, right back from the garden. Let's step through there and see how God throughout the course of history has always desired to tabernacle with his people in the garden. He created man and woman to walk in a perfect relationship with him. He wanted an unhindered relationship with these people and sin enters the world and that relationship is strained. But God had a desire to walk perfectly with his people and even though sin did enter, he didn't stop there. You go from the garden now to the history of the people of Israel with the tabernacle. That these people as they wandered through the desert, they could follow the tabernacle a pillar of fire by night, a cloud of smoke by day. And when that started to move, the people just started packing up things and following and moving with it. That God desired to be with his people, his manifest present in the garden, also in the tabernacle as his people followed him, but it didn't stop there, in the temple. That is the tabernacle now moves on to a permanent dwelling of the Lord within the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God dwelling with his people. And after the temple, you have God come in flesh, Jesus, right? Same root word here that we see in Revelation 21, we find in John 1. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, amen? God dwelling with his people in the form of coming in flesh, our Savior named Jesus. And yet then Jesus said something totally radical, right? He said, hey, listen, it's better for you that I go, actually. Because when I go, the counselor comes. The Holy Spirit comes. So we go from God dwelling with us in flesh to now God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. And all through history, you see these things. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but then here's the, here's the coolest thing. That as the new heaven and the new earth come, our dwelling with our heavenly father there is not hindered by sin one ounce. That now we, we see this kind of imperfectly. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of, and yet we still have kind of this sin hangover we carry into our Christian life that kind of pulls us back in our flesh over and over again. That's going away when we dwell with him perfectly in the new heaven and the new earth. And I love this. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Lord, come quickly. You know, that, that right there is what makes the new heaven and the new earth awesome. It's not all the, all the added blessings, those are great. 
But it's being with Jesus perfectly that makes it awesome. When we're going to dwell together. And now look at what is character. Look at what characterizes this perfect dwelling. Verse 4. We're going to go through this one slowly. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you know that feeling of when your, your son or your daughter, something just catastrophic happened to them in their life, and they come running up to you and they sit on your, their, on your lap, and they got those crocodile tears just streaming down their face. And as mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, you just sit there and you wipe their tears away as you hold them. Hey, it's going to be all right. I love this picture here of our heavenly father going, yeah, new heaven, new earth. Listen, when you're with me perfectly, I'm just there. I'm wiping all the tears away. There's no more reason for them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Some of you are going, amen. Listen, if you've ever sat bedside of someone you love, just waiting for death to finally win, hear the beauty of this verse right here. New heaven, new earth, that's that's not going to be anymore. It's gone. No more. I'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning. If you know that feeling of your heart being ripped in two, mourning a deep loss in your life, mourning the way somebody is living, mourning anything in your life, hear the beauty of this verse right here. No more. No more mourning. It's gone. We will never have another reason to mourn anything in our life again when we are with God perfectly in his presence in the new heaven, in the new earth. No more death, no more mourning, nor crying. If you have your soaked, your pillow at night with just tears after tears after tears. If you've ever found yourself weeping to the point where you can barely gather your next breath, no more. No more. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. Nor pain anymore. If you've just kind of... um, resorted to the fact that as you get out of bed every day, this physical pain that you go through every day, with it's just, it's just going to be there. If you've ever known the deep emotional pain through something going on in your life, hear the beauty of this verse right here. No more. No more pain. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. And here's, here's where it gets awesome. For the former things have passed away. 
gone. No more. The new heaven and the new earth are characterized by this perfect place where we dwell with our perfectly perfect heavenly father and those things that characterize this world that when we walk back out of here and we go yep pain's coming morning's coming crying's coming and yes i will feel the sting of death again as i walk through this earth but guess what that's not what's going to characterize the new heaven and the new earth. Verse five, it says this, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. There it is. That we run this marathon, this race called life. And there are mile markers that are easy. There are some that are hard. There are many that are painful. And my prayer for us today is that we could lift our eyes to the finish line that's ahead for us. That regardless of the circumstances that we walk back out of this auditorium and back into that world, that regardless of the circumstances, how good life is, how bad life is, how hard, how painful, that we could just look and kind of smile and say, yeah, I'm not home yet. And while, Lord, while you have me here running this race that we call life, I'm running it for your glory. I'm running away from the sin and the brokenness and I'm running towards you wholeheartedly because I know one day I'll cross this finish line and I'm going to be with you in your perfect, perfect glory and there'll be no more mourning and no more death and no more crying and no more pain when you dwell as my God and me as your people perfectly forever. Amen? That's what's ahead for us. And as I think about these first century believers who needed hope, who were losing their lives for the sake of the gospel, when I think of this aging apostle cast away as an exile, receiving this vision, I, I can't help but think of the hope that they brought them. No matter how painful, no matter how bad it got, there was something so much better ahead. And if you're like me, you're going, yeah, but but we're not there yet. (laughs) I so badly wish we were, but we walk back out into brokenness. Yeah, we do. But my prayer for us is that we would see beyond the circumstances of our life. Man, and those, those become heavy and blinding, don't they? But that we could lift our eyes and we could see there's a finish line ahead. Marked by dwelling perfectly with our Heavenly Father forever. And all those things in this world, it's just gone. Amen? So here's what I want to do as we close this morning. Will you stand with me? And as we prepare our hearts to worship again, 
I just want to read this over us this morning. In its entirety. And I want us to just totally, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you need to just kind of lift your eyes to the heavens, lift your eyes to the heavens. But I want us to hear in its totality what this passage says for us who know Jesus Christ. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we long for that day. When your glory that we get glimpses of in this broken, sin-filled world that we live in, when that glory is perfectly present as we dwell together, you as our God and we as your people. Lord, we long for that finish line. And so, Lord, I pray for us today that this would produce hope in us. Lord, because we're walking back out into a world that isn't the new heaven and it's not the new earth. And all those things that characterize what's ahead for us, those things are still here. Lord, and I recognize in this room right here today, some people walk back out into all different mile markers, some downright painful. Some of those moments that have just laid them flat out on their back in life. Lord, my prayer for them this morning is that they lift their eyes up to the finish line. that they'd fix their eyes on you. And they would know that this eternal glory that we're running towards far outweighs any circumstantial awfulness that we experience on this earth. Lord, there's something great ahead. And we can't wait to be with you. But Lord, while we're running this race here, we run it for your glory so that on that day when we cross that finish line, we will taste your glory and perfection. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.